This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And yet we know from the statistics that though most all Americans own a Bible, probably many Bibles, many of us don't read the Bible. And this is true even inside the church, shamefully. Yet this is the very book that will change your life as you read it and study it and believe the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. We're going to talk today with Josh Moody. He is senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, and he is offering some guidance on this issue in his new book. It is called How the Bible Can Change Your Life. Great title and great to have you here, Josh. How are you? Oh, thanks so much, Janet. It's great to be with you and thank you for having me on this program. I think it's an important topic and uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to do everything we can to get this message out of of the Bible, but also the tool that the Bible is for real spiritual growth for everyone. Amen. That's excellent. One of the things you say in the book is that for Christians who believe the Bible, there is a gap that exists sometimes between profession and practice. How does this concern you as a pastor? Well, I've been picking it up slowly. You know, I talk to people and, you know, sort of assume that someone is having a quiet time or a devotional life. And But as you get to know people, you realize that actually, whether it's business, sometimes it's people don't feel they have the ability to be able to interpret accurately. Uh, but there's a, there's a lack of the sense of the drama of reading the Bible. It's almost mm-hmm. like a, a chore you have to do, like your morning exercise, r- rather than I get to, there's an extraordinary opportunity. I get to hear from the creator of the whole universe, and I'm looking forward to doing that. It's an encounter, an experience as well, you know, not just simply oh, information, quick download. Right. But that's kind of, I, I think you're completely right about it, but what, what is responsible for the indifference? Because clearly we understand what God has done through Jesus, and we should be excited about that. So are, are we just lazy, or what, what do you think accounts for that sort of well, apathy? Probably any, yeah, great question. There are probably any number of different things. I mean, sometimes it's just spiritual immaturity, I suppose. Uh, sometimes it's pure business. It's, it's our lives are out of out of whack. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's because the demands of our work. Sometimes it's because of the demands of the, you know, industrial entertainment complex. I've mm. got to get another Netflix show in, you know. That's true. Um, I think sometimes it comes down to churches. I, I do think that churches have, in, in their desire to reach people, uh, and to keep Christians coming, they've tended to dumb down um, the uh, what comes out of the pulpit. Yes. And if we're not modeling the the thrill of Scripture, um, it's unlikely that the, that the the people in the pew are going to pick up the same 
the same excitement. Yeah, that's right. I think you're completely right about that. So when you talk about the Bible changing your life, that's an interesting way to put out the message because there are a lot of ways we could advertise the Bible, as it were. You should, you know, read the Bible because the Bible is true. Read the Bible because the Bible will tell you about Jesus. When you're emphasizing the fact that the Bible can change your life, why approach it that way? What is the intent there in, in telling people the Bible really can change your life? Yeah, well, I suppose it comes back to the same, the, the thought that um, yeah, you quoted from Hebrews, uh, the Word of God is living and active. And it, 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 so it does, it, it's not simply um, information, that there's an encounter with a living God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that the heart, once you begin to realize that, you begin to long to spend time with God through His Word. Well, you do. So you're answering the 10 most common questions about the Bible, and certainly people do have questions about the Bible. And you tackle this one, is the Bible true? This is kind of the foundation here, because there are a lot of new atheists who like to convince people on the internet that, in fact, the Bible is just a book of myths, and it's a desperate crutch for people who aren't that intelligent. How, how to approach this? Um, how do you even set up the framework to discuss the truth of Scripture with somebody who maybe never has been inside a church? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it becomes a sort of friendly conversation. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be antagonistic. Someone's never been inside the church. You know, presumably most people would have realized that Christians have this thing called a Bible, and we believe it is true. And uh, so you say, well, look, um, let's 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 uh, consider it. And you know, the starting point is that something like Luke's Gospel is thought by many uh, scholars to be historically reliable. And you, you begin there. So, okay, well, let's le- read Luke's Gospel and find out what it says about Jesus. And you meet Jesus, and you find he's a, com- a compelling character who makes a claim upon your life. And you have to decide whether you're going to uh, accept him as who he claims to be. And 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 uh, you become then a disciple of Christ. And you, then you begin to discover how he treats Scripture. And, and from that from that place, you say, okay, that's how Jesus treats Scripture. Then I, as his disciple, need to treat Scripture the same kind of way. And from that place, you then begin to, you know, answer some of the more sort of classic troublesome questions that people do sometimes have about the Bible. But you, you take it from a point of view of a disciple of Christ who knows Jesus. And uh, that's the sort of starting point. Well, it is. And and to establish the credibility of the Bible, you talk a lot about establishing historical facts and the, the record and, and the historicity, really, of the Bible. What, what would be a good way to defend the historicity of the Bible, especially with someone who says the Bible is full of contradictions, maybe it's a book of myths? Where would you even begin to do that sort of apologetic work on the historicity of Scripture? Yeah, sometimes... It's ignorance. So some, someone says, you know, the Bible's sort of contradictions. My first response would be, well, can you, can you name me one? And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes people have a few things in their mind, but, but quite often they don't. They've just heard it. And if they, if they haven't got anything in particular, they say, well, you know, well, okay, well, you may be all right, but let's look at it together. And so then you get into Bible study, looking at uh, uh, the New Testament. I like how J.B. Phillips put, put it long ago. He talked about having the ring of truth. And so when you get into, into the Bible and start reading, particularly something like Luke's Gospel, you realize that it has this historical reliability to it. You encounter Jesus, and then you begin to look at it through the lens of how Jesus approached Scripture. That, I think, is the, is the best approach. 
Um, and uh, so that tends to be the approach I take with people. Well, I also really appreciate what some apologists have pointed out, and that is the Bible. There's been no other book on earth that has been as scrutinized, right? I mean, when we have so many attacks on the Bible over so many years and the Bible is still standing and we still come up with archaeological digs that are finding ancient cities and ancient things mentioned in the Bible, to me, that's a really strong point as well, that the Bible has held up all this time. I think that's it's a great point. I mean, I, I have a friend who um, is a is a Cambridge, and he's a you know a, a scholar. One of the points he makes is we have more reason to accept the historical reliability of the Bible than ever before in human history, just because of the discovery of the manuscripts. Uh, there's so much uh, corroborate. Uh, 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 evidence for what we have in in, uh, in terms of what we believe in, in the Bible um, uh, more than ever before and um, yeah there's been a lot of uh, discussion about it but because it's important and um, we, we can't sweep under the carpet the critics you know the enlightenment rationalist critics if someone wants to really get into that you can there's a, one of the most famous books on this is by F.F. F. Bruce on the New Testament documents reliable yes and um, that's a good resource if someone wants to get into it at a slightly more technical level. And there are more. And then you know you can keep on ramping it up. You can read um, you know Carson's book on uh, canonicity and, and others. But I think that the the, the the place to start for someone who's just getting into looking into whether scripture is reliable is maybe a seeker. Again, I'd say, look, okay, let's talk about it. Let's get a cup of coffee together. Um, you know, actually, Luke's gospel is a thought to be, Luke was a good historian. Uh, he, he worked within the historical uh, basis of, 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 of his time, ancient historian, but it's, he was a good historian. You could, and so let's read Luke's gospel like that. Let's read Acts like that. And then we encounter Christ, and then we begin to follow Christ, and then uh, we, we take his approach to to scripture. And uh, when you do that, I think it really does change your life. Well, it really does. And some of the other questions that you address are ones that I want to dive into when we come back from this break. Pastor Josh Moody of College Church is with us. His book, How the Bible Can Change Your Life. We'll come back to the conversation right after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something God gave me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of 2019. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is the practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you for tuning in. Great to have you with us. Also joining us is Josh Moody, who is senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, and author of the book, How the Bible Can Change Your Life. He is responding to some of the most common questions about the Bible, 10 in particular. We were discussing before the break whether or not the Bible is true and and some great information that you were able to give to us, Josh, on how to handle that question. What about the relevance of the Bible? I know relevance has become kind of an overused buzzword in the last couple of decades. I get tired sometimes of that word. It's a good word. It's just we use it a lot. How do we address that biblically without turning relevance into how can I make Christianity cool enough to suit me? I mean, obviously, that's not what we're talking about. But how to approach this particular question? Yeah, right. That's that's a really good way of uh, approaching it and thinking about it. I, I think in some ways, the relevance question needs to be turned on its head. So, in other words, behind the relevance question in a in a sort of negative way would be, you know, what does this have to do with me? And of course, the whole revolution of the of, of following Jesus and therefore reading the Bible is to discover that actually what is best for me is to put God first and to center my life on him. And so the real question of life is not how is God relevant to me? The real question is how am I relevant to him? Hmm. Uh, and what we discover is he cares for us. He loves us. So you have to go through this whole paradigm shift to become a Christian. And then on and on in Christian discipleship, actually, life is not about me. Actually, church is not about me. Actually, you know, it's not about my musical preference. Actually, and, and you, you go all, you know, all these, actually, family, my family is not about me. And, and you think, oh, well, that's going to be bad for me. But no, actually, that's, that's life. You know, he's come to give us life and life to the full. That's, that's the heart of, uh, of the Christian message is that when we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, then we enter into life. So part of the relevance question, I think you have to turn on its head. On the other hand, you know, what are the biggest questions and the most important things of life? Well, where will I go when I die? What could be a bigger, more, more relevant question than to all of us? What is the meaning of life? What could be a bigger, more relevant question to all of us? How can I best spend my days and hours to have maximum significance in my life? 
Again, the Bible addresses all these things. Certainly, that's right. I like one of the other questions that you tackle in the book, which asks, how do you read the Bible? Now, it seems to be a self-evident answer there. (laughs) Pick it up and begin to let your eyes drift over the words. That's how you read the Bible. But can you get to the essence of what someone is really saying? What they're really saying is it's so big, parts of it are so confusing. Where do I begin? Right, yeah. And I I guess, like you, I sometimes find people, you know, they pick up the Bible and they start in Genesis, and Genesis reads quite well, and then they get, you know, a little further on in the the first five books, and before too long they're reading Numbers or Leviticus, and it's a bit of harder harder sailing. And uh, so I I think, you know, uh, start with something like Philippians, um, follow the... Uh, the break, the, the break up the sections of a modern translation. I always say to people, um, begin with a word of prayer. Ask that God would speak to you, because again, this is an encounter with the living God. Lord, I really, I'm coming to you. I'm going to set aside my agenda. I want to submit to your agenda. Would you speak to me? And you come in that attitude, and you ask for God's Spirit to move as you read the Bible. You read it through, and you ask yourself some questions. What does it say? What's it mean? And then how does that apply to my life? And you walk through in that order, which is, uh, you know, quite important. Otherwise, we'll jump to application illegitimately from what the text is actually saying. And then, you know, once, once you've gone through that, then you pray in what the Lord has said. So maybe he's, uh, he's convicted you of something. You say, Lord, I'm so sorry for that. Please forgive me. Help me to, in your power, do better. Or there's something to be grateful for. Oh, that's amazing. I'm, I just praise you for that. In other words, you, you internalize and you pray in what it is that you've learned that you will be transformed by that. And uh, so, and there's more to say about reading the Bible, but and there's a little more uh, in, in the book itself about that. But those are some of the things I get into. Yeah, that's great. I know one of the things I, I've been reading through every day, um, the book of Isaiah, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And I'm just taking my time. But one of the things that I've found to be very helpful, I always have a notebook and a pen, and I write out verses that strike me. And then mm-hmm. I'm sure if I go back through the book again, different verses will strike me because all of those verses should be striking me. But it, it helps me to slow down and think through what I'm reading rather than just kind of zoning out halfway when I'm reading through chapter 50 or something like that because mm-hmm. it's a long book. But that that also, I think, can be helpful is is writing down your thoughts or, or as I write out verses, thinking through what the Word of God is saying. And then you can go back and look at that. And uh, it really helps you to understand, at least it does for me, because that really is the point, to understand mm-hmm. the text. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a great way of doing it. Um, I think sometimes people find it helpful to actually write in the Bible. We, you know, some of us resist that a little bit, but there's no reason why you can't underline parts of the Bible, write right. around it, so that you can. Um, and journaling, people often find helpful. So you're writing in what you've learnt uh, from God. And you can write it down. You can refer back to it. But the very act of writing does cognitively underline things in your mind. I think that's true. Right, right. And they also make Bibles that have lines where you can take notes in the margins. So those can be helpful resources too. We're not lacking resources, right, Josh? I mean, this is... No, no, we're not lacking resources at all. I mean, we've got so many and other parts of the world have so few and yet they're so hungry. And so Mm. I'm partly trying to stimulate hunger Yes. Not simply provide answers. Yes. Well, you describe the Bible as food at one point in the book, and, and I, I think that's great, and also as a seed. Can you talk a little bit about that, that the Bible is your food just as much as your food is your food? 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's where the idea comes from. Yes. The, I think there can be a tendency to um, say to yourself, what did I learn this morning? And if you've been a Christian for quite a long time, the truth might be you didn't actually learn something radically new. But that doesn't mean you weren't fed. And there's a spiritual um, nourishment that takes place that we need every day. And you, and someone, um, you know, obviously I've been a pastor for a little while now, and this is an observation that many pastors have made down through history. But if someone comes to you in crisis, you know, they've, they're committing adultery or there's some kind of sin that's been in their life, they come and they're very repentant about it, they want your help because they're in crisis. Very, very often what's happened is that person has at some point stopped reading the Bible. Mm. And it's um, because you get weaker. You, 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 you lack nourishment. And so, yeah, it's food for That's sure. True. That's true. That's a really good point. I, another question I wanted to ask you about, because this, this is one that really grabs my attention. They all mm. do. But does it matter if we use the Bible in church? Now, th- mm. this is interesting because you have some churches that will have the Pew Bible and you mm. can use the Pew Bible. There are other churches that have no books at all. They don't have hymnals and they don't have Pew Bibles. They have screens. But there is this tendency, and a lot of Christians have commented on that, that, that there are uh, increasingly churches that just don't have you bring your Bible and you don't mm-hmm. open the Bible and maybe you might get a verse thrown up on a screen. Is that enough? And, and how do you see the usage of the Bible in church being affected by our modern culture? What do we do about it? Yeah, I think it really does matter. I mean, I'm less hung up on the method. So there probably are different methods, you know, of distributing uh, the, the word. Um, I'm le- much less hung up on the method than the actuality of it. So I, if I go to a church and, uh, you know, there's a sermon which is tangentially sort of kind of maybe related to a verse that's been read out at some point, um, usually what's said is true and probably even helpful. But the long-term effects of that, indeed sometimes the short-term effects of that, are you create a, a generation of Christians who are vulnerable to all sorts of spiritual, uh, you know, uh, whether it's doctrinal or moral. And, this, and I'm sure this is why the church in the West is open to lots and lots of heterodox, if not heretical teaching, yep. uh, lots and lots of moral compromise, confusion about what to do things about, like, you know, sexuality or the, the political realm, or because they're not being fed. And instead, you know, churches that are, you know, we live, particularly in America, there's a, there's a market for, for Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and churches are competing in that market. And so what they want to do is find a, a niche or a product that will appeal to the Christians. And, you know, so they want to lower all the barriers and and so there's this huge pressure that way but of course the 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 ramifications of that is that people can end up not being fed and they're not being fed and they're not going to be strong and then they're open to all kinds of vulnerabilities so i think it that's the other and so the two the two things that have been driving this book for me the reason why i would write it one is the personal level just reading bible and personal times the other thing was really a call to the church so you know it is our charge to preach the word of god Amen. and the scriptures the old testament as well as the new testament of course the old testament scriptures were the scriptures of the new testament church so you can't decouple the two the whole bible really is um that must be at the heart of, of any kind of healthy church 
And, uh, yes, I think it does matter. The method, I mean, there are different methods of getting after it. Not too hung up on that. But the practice really is important. Yes, it is. Well, and it's important, I think, as well, that the whole life of the church is centered around the Bible as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have Bible studies, you have Sunday school classes, but it's easy sometimes to devolve into topical this or topical that, which isn't wrong necessarily. But it seems that would be something that would also help the life of the church, is that if the Bible were upheld in Bible studies for everybody, come on, let's study the Word together. Let's dig right. in. Yeah, I mean, we've probably all been to small groups like that, which, are, you know, in theory are a Bible study group. You get there and, you know, you begin by sharing prayer requests. That goes on for 45 minutes. <laughs> yes, and, uh, too many you know, of those. Talking about with, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, you look at your watch and say, well, quickly, you better quit, look at the Bible. And you do that for three minutes and yes. you're off, you know. Right. And, of course, a fellowship's important. And I don't just mean, you know, getting to know each other, being a community, hugely important. But... Yeah, it's, it's the wrong proportion of time, yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's a great book, How the Bible Can Change Your Life. Josh Moody, Senior Pastor of College Church with us. And so good to talk to you again, Josh. God bless you and keep up the good Thank work. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. Same to you. Thank okay. you very much. God bless you. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, when it comes to the discipleship of children, as we know, family plays an incredibly important role. As Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, normally when we think about discipling children, we think of the role of the parents. But even when speaking to the children of Israel about their required obedience to God, Moses told them to make God's rules known to your children and your children's children. So what role do grandparents have to play in the spiritual growth of their grandchildren? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Josh Mulvihill, who is Executive Director of Church and Family Ministry of Renewa Nation, where he equips parents and grandparents to disciple their families. He's also served as a pastor for almost 20 years, and he's here today to talk about his book, Discipling Your Grandchildren. Josh, just great to have you with us. How are you? Thanks, Janet. I'm doing wonderful. That is wonderful. And this is a great subject because there are a lot of grandparents who I know have had a huge spiritual impact on their grandchildren, but we don't often formally discuss the role of grandparents doing discipleship. Why do you think that is? Well, they're backstage figures for a lot of parents, and they've uh, been definitely undervalued by our culture and churches. And so, They've kind of been placed on the periphery, and so as a result, uh, they've kind of they're kind of the I call them the forgotten members of the family, and it's time that we begin to re uh, understand what God says about grandparents and um, open the door, open the gate, so that grandparents can do what God's tasked them with. And so it's uh, we've it's been fun. We've seen a, a quite a, a, an awakening across the country with grandparents as they've begun to. 
re-understand their role, and churches have begun to uh, engage with grandparents in ways that they had not previously, so it's good. Yeah, it is really good. I was thinking about that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mm-hmm. mother Eunice now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. The, I mean, there are a lot of verses when you go and you look at some of the verses about grandparents and handing down the faith through generations. There are more verses pertaining to grandparents having an emphasis on spiritual growth in their grandchildren than I even realized. I knew some of the key passages, but I was looking through the commentary. I said, wow, there really are a lot of references to this. Yeah, there's there's a ton. Uh, if you look for the word grandparent or grandparenting, you'll only find it a couple times based on the translation, the, the version you use. But uh, the Bible uses different terminology like children's children and son's son and father's father's father. So yes, yeah, so you go and look up any of those terms and suddenly you go, wow, the Bible actually references grandparents a couple hundred times. Uh, and uh, that actually was the focus of my uh, my dissertation when I started to explore that. I uh, went, wow, there uh, there's a lot here. And so, yeah, God, God has a lot to say to grandparents. They're extremely important in family discipleship. In fact, uh, Barna did a study and found that they were the number two influence spiritually for children, uh, that they were more impactful than teachers, than peers, than pastors. It doesn't minimize those influences, but, um, and then, you know, you start to think about, well, how could that be? And my, um, my opinion is that, you know, who has a presence in a child's life from their earliest days into their adulthood years, assuming that um, God blesses a grandparent with long life, and um, there are very few people outside of the family for young people, so I just think it's, it comes down to time and yeah. longevity of time. Yes, yes, that's so important. And I, you know, I'm sure there are many people in the listening audience, myself included, who could say, oh, my, my grandmother was so wonderful and she prayed mm-hmm. for me all the time. You know, you think about the role of grandparents a lot when it comes to prayer, at least that's anecdotally, that's what I hear from a lot of people. My grandmother was mm-hmm. just a prayer warrior. But you're talking in your book about a lot of other things that grandparents can be involved in pertaining to the discipleship of their grandchildren. Where would you begin if you were to tell grandparents Here's how you can start getting involved in your grandchildren's life for the purpose of discipleship. Yeah, it, well, with grandparenting, it takes two to tango. Um, unlike, you know, with parenting, you, you've got the direct access to a child. So I'm not a grandparent. I'm, I'm a father of five. Uh, so I'll just speak for my life personally. We sat down with my children's grandparents and uh, just, I call it the talk, and we just simply had a conversation about uh, here's how we parent, here's what we're trying to accomplish from what we understand the Bible's asking us to do as parents, um, and here's some ways you could be involved. And of course, that assumes that grandparents and parents are kind of generally in the same um, ballpark as far as their their goals and their outcomes and how they see life. Um, I find that's about 25 to 33% of families uh, for those families that, um, you know, for whatever reason, there's an adult child not walking with the Lord or um, just in different places, relational tensions, whatever else, uh, a lot of challenges. Um, then the goal, of course, is to repair the relationship um, or to um, 
you know, we need to get on the same page before we can be working towards the same goals. And yeah. so, um, of course, that, you know, there's that's a big subject in and of itself. <laughs> and, um, you know, prayer is an important piece of that in in, uh, in in what we we have, what we call grandparents at prayer groups, um, which we uh, help grandparents in that arena supporting and praying for. Um, but as far as um, some really practical things that could be done, um, we do what we also call grand camps. So um, this could be at your home for a weekend or at a, uh, we have locations across the country that uh, grandparents can gather with their grandkids and just spend time together um, and then become intentional in that. Um, so there's uh, the book you're referencing has a couple hundred ideas. I just scratched the surface on a couple, but there are, um, there are just tons of ways, and you know, it's it's really it's Deuteronomy six. Yes. So yes. as you go through life with your grandchildren, whether you get a little time every year because they're long distance, or whether you know they're down the road and you get to see them pretty regularly, um, there's all these kinds of opportunities. And once we understand our role and become serious about it, then we begin to um, seize those opportunities as they come. And so. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's fun to, it's been fun to just help grandparents engage and the relational fruit that comes, uh, just brings so much value to both grandchildren and grandparents. Yes. So, yes, absolutely. And you know, that's so important. I think that's a great idea to sit down with the grandparents and, and talk to the kids about the family plan for discipleship. I think that's such a great thing to do. Would you say that there is a difference though, in the way that grandparents are to disciple their grandchildren versus the way parents need to disciple? Because clearly you have a more hands-on role when it comes to the parents and the parents don't get to be, you know, the good guys with the cookies all the time, the way that grandparents can, you know, so, so how would you differentiate? between the role of parents and the role of grandparents, what would be some of the distinctions? So I call grandparents the adjunct servant of the parent, and that's not a slight to grandparents. It just recognizes that God's given parents the primary role, and grandparents are supportive help. Um, That's in the event that parents are discipling their children. In the event that they're not, um, then grandparents become a spiritual surrogate, Mm -hmm. and they can, um, you know, depending on what a parent will allow, um, can maybe step in in some capacity, whether that's bring their grandchildren to church, uh, whether that is a more hands-on discipleship role that a parent would generally have, but they may not because of, um, they're just, they're not fulfilling that. And there's plenty in that capacity. And some parents will give the grandparents that opportunity, and um, and they step into kind of your last line of spiritual defense in the family. Um, as far as the differences, uh, one of the big ones is discipline. Um, I see that primarily as a parent's role as far as some physical correction scripturally. There's never a command to grandparents, although the more time that grandparents spend with a grandchild, I think it becomes more... Um, appropriate to have some discipline plan with the parents. And so this to me is a delegated authority that a parent needs to give to a grandparent and that a conversation needs to happen to figure out what does that look like for our family? What are we comfortable with? Um, And so that's a biggie and it seems to have a whole spectrum of um, from what families are comfortable with. For sure. There's a lot more to talk about. We're going to pause for a short break. Dr. Josh Mulvihill with us talking about discipling your grandchildren. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. 
For those of us who live in America, it may be hard to believe, but there are people in the country of Lebanon who have never heard about Jesus. That's exactly why Heart for Lebanon is there, working in the nation that's home to more than two million Syrian refugee families who have arrived there to escape civil war and terrorism. But every day, Heart for Lebanon is there, reaching out to these needy families in Jesus' name, telling them about him and providing food, Christian education, and survival essentials. And the Lord is changing their lives. Let me tell you about one of those refugees, Hanifa, who is 10 years old. She lost her mother when she was just a toddler, but Heart for Lebanon met her as they were delivering food portions to her family. With no opportunity for formal education, Hanifa wakes her father up early in the morning when Heart for Lebanon's educational fund truck is scheduled to arrive. Recently, during a skit about God's love, Hanifa placed her faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And now, because her father is illiterate, she's reading the Bible to him each evening. This family, although currently living in very tough times, is slowly starting to realize the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ and the hope that only reaches them because people like you give to get the gospel to them. Your single investment of just $116 helps someone like Hanifa and her family with supplies needed to survive the next four months and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. Perhaps you could help a family like this for an entire year by joining our Hope Provider team at just $29 a month. Whatever you can do, please call now, 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner to click at JanetMefford.com. These families need immediate help. More than that, they need Jesus and they need you. Please call now. The number is 888-247-5499. That number again, 888-247-5499. Thank you and God bless you for your generosity. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. While you think about Psalm 92, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. And it really is an important thing for us to remember that grandparents play a very big role in the lives of their grandchildren. And we're discussing this with Dr. Josh Mulvihill, who's put out a great book on this, Discipling Your Grandchildren. Josh, we were talking before we went to the break about the role of the grandparents in discipleship of the grandchildren versus the parents and what's the differentiation. And you were mentioning that they're either adjunct servants to the parents if the parents are discipling and everybody's on the same page or spiritual surrogates of sorts if the parents are not discipling, which brings up an important question because a lot of families do have problems with this where you have the the grandparents are strong Christians but maybe the parents have walked away from the faith or they're lukewarm. So then you have kids who are born into a home where maybe they're not even going to church, but the grandparents are terribly concerned that they come to know the Lord, yet they don't want to step on the feet of the grand, of the parents and, and go against the parents lest they lose contact. You know, that whole relational dynamic that can become awkward. How do you advise grandparents to deal with that kind of a situation if that's what they're facing in their family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my heart goes out to those families, and there are a lot of them. Uh, generally, um, we kind of talk about the influence principle, and um, where this is um, not the direct uh, truth-telling, typically the kind of the hard-hitting, This, um, for the most part, that it seems that that kind of um, plan tends to backfire, and so we encourage more of the, when we look at the grace and truth spectrum, we look 
we tend to encourage more on the grace side of things, um, that we attract more with honey <laughs> rather than the, than the hard hitting. And so um, not that that's going to be the end-all answer, but it tends to keep the door open, the relationship established, and um, that tends to be the, you know, the, the, the component that can then potentially lead to some change and transformation in hearts and lives down the road. Um, and so we, you know, we, um, you know, we try to support grandparents in this, uh, recognizing that it's probably going to be a long and a bumpy road for many. Um, in the and in Scripture, we see God had a lot of prodigals, and maybe some are listeners today. Uh, and the good news is, we have lots of examples from Scripture on what to do in the case of a prodigal, and and God the Father is the primary example in that how he extends grace and always pursues Christ ate with sinners and the door was open and extending forgiveness. And, you know, we could go down the list of those kinds of principles. And those are the same kinds of things we want to extend. Um, of course, prayer is huge in this regard. You know, we can't change hearts. Only, only Christ can. And so we continue to bring our children before the Lord that aren't walking with him. And, um, you know, and we just pray for God's transformation in their lives. Um, and, you know, some adult children will obviously um, put some restrictions on grandparents, and um, and that becomes extremely difficult. For those that don't and give some opportunity, um, this is where I think grandparents can step in. And so um, I'd encourage, you know, that conversation to happen, uh, just as you mentioned, you know, a lot of times we're trying to dance around uh, landmines or figure out where the boundaries are. And sometimes I think it's just good to ask the question and um, have the conversations so that uh, those unknowns, you know, don't blow up in our face and then we come to regret it. Oh, yeah. And obviously you can still do things like pray for your grandchildren, be a good example, talk about going to church, you know, share scripture with them, whatever you're able to do without completely destroying the relationship with the parents. And that is a fine line to walk sometimes. But for those who do have cooperative parents working together with them to disciple the grandchildren, you have an awful lot of really good ideas. You had mentioned like the grandparents camp and grandparents ministries at churches. This is all great stuff. What about things like just basic sharing the gospel? I mean, we can't even necessarily assure that our grandchildren are hearing the gospel message fully if we just leave it to church or if we just leave it to Sunday school, because how do you know that your child was paying attention when the gospel was offered? So what what are some of the ways that grandparents can just really deal with a child and say, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You know, that's a great Point, Janet. Actually, my my research found that only one in four grandparents had verbally shared the gospel with their grandchildren. Mm. So I I, um, I want to commend you for bringing that up, and I want to encourage a grandparent um, that's listening today. Just because your grandchild hears the gospel in their home, or they go to a great church, or even a Christian school where they're hearing the gospel. It doesn't negate our responsibility to share that, and it's you know I never get tired of being reminded of the gospel and the the good news that is um, found in that, and so your grandchildren need to hear that. Um, some there's some wonderful tools. Uh, there's some great apps that can be downloaded for free on um, you go to the app store and just uh, you know type in gospel, sharing the gospel, and um, you know those kinds of things that come up. Um, we 
have used with our kids, the Avanja Cube. It's just pictures. The colorless book has been wonderful. Um, yes. You know, we've used uh, tons of tools like that. The Romans Road, we, have, uh, we sing the song Romans Road that t- talks through the different verses in Romans. Um, so different ways that whether it's visual or audio, it just keeps the gospel in front. I know some grandparents have purchased some kind of gospel booklets and they literally leave them out on their end table or coffee table and the grandchildren will come over to their home and, Oh, look at this. It looks attractive visually. And they pick it up and start reading and boom, you walk right into a gospel conversation as grandchildren are, are looking at it. Um, so I think to all those kinds of, tools are just wonderful helps that we can utilize with uh, with the children in our lives. That's great. That is really great. And and even the relational things that you do with your grandchildren can be very important. Things like cooking together. I mean, I remember having great memories of watching my grandma bake cookies and bake cakes and she let me help. And those kinds of things, while you'd say, well, that's not very spiritual, that's building a relationship. That's building more and more love and closeness together, which is very important, I think, when you're trying to disciple your grandchild. Yes, critical. In fact, um, research shows that the, the frequency of contact between grandparents and grandchildren tends to tr- then translate into closer relationships. Um, so, um, the, you know, if you want a higher quality relationship, if you feel like, man, I just don't, I don't know why it's struggling with my adult children or my grandchildren, a simple, simple answer is in- increase the frequency. And um, there's been a ton of research that's actually been done on the amount of contact that grandparents have with grandchildren. And so um, for most grandparents, there's actually one out of two falls in the detached or passive um, category, which means they spend, they see their grandchildren less than one time per month. Hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, you you can have a, a, a relationship, but it's hard to have a really intimate relationship when there's just not a lot of contact. And it goes both ways. This isn't a you know, this isn't a slap across the face to grandparents because I realize, you know, I, a lot of grandparents tell me, I just lament that my adult children don't call, that they seem too busy for me. So it goes both ways. Um, but um, sometimes if a grandparent does initiate in a greater capacity, what you just said is critical. It just begins to develop those relationships, which then give the opportunity for the discipleship to occur. Yeah, that's right. What about older grandchildren? You know, you're thinking of kids who are, you know, K through eight or something like that, and you're having really great relationships with those kids in ways that you can relate to little kids. But what about when your grandchildren get older? What about when they're in high school and in college? Do you advocate different ways of grandparents discipling grandchildren at that age? Or how do things shift at that point? I love serving alongside one another, if possible. Um, I love um, studying some books together, building a book library, you know, obviously a much more mature library with some, especially as they get into the teen years and the young adult years, could be reading some of the same books together and either um, connecting regularly or having coffee together uh, to discuss. Um, This one, uh, grandmother sent this, I'll just read this little uh, testimony to you. This was her 17-year-old granddaughter sent this text to her, and it said, I've learned more about how to be a Christian by watching how you live your life, the way you pursue a life that reflects Him in every way, whether that be through your marriage or simply 
talking to a man in a restaurant. For 17 years, I've watched you share the gospel shamelessly and point our family towards him. Wow. In every situation, good and bad, that I've ever been in, you've reminded me that it's not about me, that I serve a God that has a plan for me that ultimately leads to him. That's neat. That is really neat. Well, we've got to end it there, but Dr. Josh Mulvahill from Renewination, you can find them at renewination.org. And the name of the book is Discipling Your Grandchildren. Josh, so good to have had you here. Thank you so much for the great advice and great tips. Thanks, Janet. All right. God bless you. And thanks again for being here. And thank you for joining us on Janet Mufford today. We'll see you next time. 